0: Hey there, White Sox fans. Oh, as promised, Dugout Metrics is not just back. It's back and coming hard. Two programs. This is unprecedented. Two programs in, in one week. Like, I think in back-to-back days, this is nuts. It's a pace that I'm afraid we might not be able to keep up. But who knows? I mean, you know, we could go three days in a row, four days in a row, whatever. Uh, all right. And let's, you know, we had, there was a lot of intrigue last podcast, uh, we, we, we started off with the breaking news that we had that Dugout Metrics had traded Luke mails away uh, in order to get some pitching help, which was uh, Maliki Hayes. Uh, and then, of course, during the course of the podcast, you know, it ran a while. It was, you know, like an hour. And again, I'm, I'm always multitasking here at uh, Southside Sox. Uh, Central, You know, I was working the phones. I was working the text with Luke to try to get him right back. You know, not quite a sign and trade. It's just like it's a confusing. It's a very complicated situation. I can't really can't really play it all out here just on the podcast. But the good news was uh, we, we got him back. We signed him back up. You know, he's he was holding out a little bit. You know, he's, he's gone a little big time. So, you know, I had to up the offer and all that. But that's fine. We got him back. Here's the wrinkle to it, though. And again, we're continuing to negotiate. I mean, he's looking, you know, very happy, very polite right now. But the negotiation continues because you'll notice this is this is like a dugout metric. It's just Luke's mail. So in coming back, I'm not saying he's high hat us. I'm not saying he's prima donna. But he said, hey, first one back. It's just got to be me. And I said, all right, Luke, I got to get you back. So come on. It's just you and me. No sweat. Um of course, I am just making light, but Luke is back with us and I'm sure we will have a, a group again. We have added Maliki sort of to our little dugout metrics group, a very popular podcast we've had. Somehow went a couple of years without having one, but we're back and we're going back to back days. So Luke, after the protracted negotiations, I was sweating. I don't know, you, you were you were in the, the driver's seat. I was sweating, but hey, we got you back and it's very nice to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be back. You forgot I had a no trade clause of exercise. <laughs> uh, so you tried to move me, but... Um, I pulled in Eduardo Rodriguez and I'm <laughs> back. <laughs> Decided not to move. Right. Yeah, because there's so many, be- there's so many better
0: places than Southside Sox to be at. So, yeah, I'm sure you looked at it like, yeah, I don't want to
1: go. Yeah. Why would I go to the
0: Dodgers? <laughs> well, it is
1: good It is good to be back, though. I know the last year and a half, they're, uh, sometimes it's not so inspiring to get on and, and talk about this, this team all the time. So, um, but. They've got some uh, pretty intriguing draft picks, and the last two drafts look like they've, at least so far, shaping up pretty well. So hopefully, we'll have uh, somewhat of a farm system to talk about, especially with with the trades that that happened this past couple of weeks and yeah. um, and also the draft in the last month. Yeah yeah i would say luke you picked a pretty decent
0: chunk of let's say like 18 months to miss really i mean frankly you came back a little too soon but i appreciate that you here. uh everyone's aware at this point uh luke's done a three-part um uh, a series where he's done a Definitely a couple really in-depth articles uh, focusing on the college draft picks, which really was the bulk of the draft for the White Sox. Those are linked here in this podcast post, but you've already read them. You don't need to look at it. I mean, certainly look at them again. But you're already familiar with what he's had to say and some of the optimism that he's bringing and and, and mining down uh, and and getting into, you know, I mean, that's what dugout metrics is, right? We're getting into the numbers. Uh, They're sort of lying underneath these guys. Um, So we're not just making... Need jerk reactions like I do because that's what I do. I don't, you know, I don't have the numbers. My brain doesn't function so I can go, oh, hey, yeah, that number and that number. This is making a lot of sense to me. And so even on this podcast, Luke is going to explain some of this to me why maybe I should be a little more excited about some of the guys uh, picked out. Now, listen, Lord knows Southside Sox doesn't have access, but, you know, Luke was. On the field at the draft, he was—he was supporting uh, the whole draft process. So I mean, we're talking about—you know—I can't claim them, but we, by some sort of osmosis or just good luck, uh, we've got uh, someone who's really, really close to the process and put some of his, uh, some of the expertise that got him there in that position in the first place. Now into the, these articles for us on Southside Sox, and they've been really great. So thank you, Luke, and. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're not going to just go. Come on, it's too boring. Even though you're going to just you're going to undermine me by picking the round, first round guy, but we're not just going to be boring and go like one through twenty or something. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to throw at you, the first thing I want to know is what you felt the best pick of the draft was for the White Sox.
1: Well, I, I won't pick Gonzalez as the first round. I do like the pick um, it, at the at the time. I think he was my uh, Third favorite selection in that pick. Um, I really like Chase Davis, the outfielder from Arizona, and also Garrett Taylor, the third baseman from TCU, um, that ended up going shortly after uh, the Sox pick at 15. But I did I did like Gonzalez. I think three-year track record of performance at SEC is, um, uh, you know, nothing to shy away from. It's really impressive. Good shot to stick at shortstop. He's a left-handed hitter, which we know we need. Um, and so they, they stockpiled a, a few of those as well. But really, I think my favorite pick in the draft, I really like the third round pick, Seth Keener from Wake Forest. Ooh, and I think part of it is, one, you're just coming from the pitching machine that is Wake Forest that got them all the way to to Omaha. Um, they they have a well-known, that the pitching lab they, they do there, it's highly data-driven, analytically driven. But um, one thing that they did with Keener was um, he got hit – pretty hard in in 2022 and what they did is they realized that his slider was a really good pitch so they're like hey let's just throw that a lot more um and that's what they did and he ended up having huge uh, strikeout rates he struck out almost 40 percent of the hitters he faced and he's picked and you're like i oh, only started like eight or so of his 20 appearances and you're like oh they're drafting a reliever in the third round um which maybe maybe that's his ultimate fate but i'm mm-hmm. sure they're gonna bring him on as a starter but I think with Keener, you look and you're like, oh, he pitched at Wake Forest. It's just a different uh, situation there. They had so many good arms to, to choose from that were all really good. And so um, I think it's a good sign that they're buying into to this type of pitcher um, that is maybe a little bit unorthodox with the classic, you know, pitch usage, and he's going to throw a lot of sliders and um, – If he clicks it's a starter with really high octane stuff if it doesn't maybe it's a back-end reliever so leaving yourself open for a couple different options is is something i like they did there
0: now what you lay out there uh because yeah on the face of it it's like okay you know i mean it does deflate the room a little bit it's like you you do want to be able to to I mean, for better or worse, you do want to be able to label these guys, especially when you're really talking about at, at the top of the draft. And it's, and it's hard and it's elusive, which is why it's great to be talking to you about this and reading your article because, yeah, it gives us a, li- a little bit more of the background that might have, you know, uh, detailed the process of the White Sox making the selection. In your piece, you're talking about how his fastball really isn't something that's terribly impressive. I think you're, you're even calling it, you know – you got to get out of the dead zone, right. and that implies that you know whatever the White Sox want to do with them, it it apply, it implies that they are confident they're going to be able to. Do you have that same faith? Have we seen anything recently, even in maybe the most recent twenty twenty two draft? Have we seen anything that might indicate that the White Sox aren't just you know wanting to do that, but are, you know are, are beginning to prove that they can do that with guys? Because we've had a we've had a pretty good amount of disappointing news with some arms, not necessarily from the very recent drafts. So, uh, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, they know what they got to do, but are we confident that, you know, <laughs> there's a shot at them actually being able to do that with Seth?
1: Yeah, I think they can. And I think that his fastball is the the pitch that they are probably going to have to develop. And, and it's one of the reasons he got hit hard, like I said, in 2022 and why they opted for more sliders. I think adding fastball ride, which is what Keener needs to do. I think they've had relative success of of helping pitchers do that versus um, versus some other things. I think um, not that Ethan Katz will be working a ton with Keener right off the bat, but um, that's something that Dylan C struggled with early in his career was adding good, uh, good ride to his fastball. And then when he broke out, uh, well, really his breakout was last year, but even 2021, when he was a lot better um, he, he added a lot of fastball, ride, And even Giolito too. um, And obviously Katz had a lot of hand in his development as well. So I've, uh, you know, relative faith that that they can do that. Now, if it's something where, like when they pick Jared Kelly, they're like, this guy needs to develop a breaking ball. He has no breaking ball. Well, Jared Kelly hasn't looked great because they haven't been able to develop a good breaking ball for him. So maybe that's a realm where you're like, eh, if if it was the opposite and Keener needed a good slider, then maybe it's a different story. But I think – Tweaking the fastball, I think something they can
0: do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, no, that 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 alone is inspiring. Again, I don't necessarily look at it the way. We look at pitches as being equal, but right. uh, you know, apparently not. Okay, now clearly, Seth Keener's was a pretty intriguing pick. Obviously, it baffled me, so I guess that counts as intriguing. But uh, the next thing I want to throw at you is is maybe what of of these of these twenty guys or of the collegians uh, that you would have considered. Uh, Luke, to be the most intriguing pick? What 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 guy that the White Sox have got, could be a low pick or not, um,
1: sort of leaving you with a little intrigue? So I'm going to go up one pick. I'm going to go to the second round pick with Grant Taylor uh, from LSU. And I think what's crazy about the LSU team that obviously went all the way to Omaha and won it all is that they had you know Paul Skeens, who went number one. They had Ty Floyd, uh, who was also a first round pick. But they had a lot of pitchers that got hurt that could have also contributed that got hurt both in the fall, uh, like like Grant. Well, I think Grant Taylor actually hurt himself in February right before the season, but guys that got hurt before the season. And when Taylor's picked, you're like, okay, it's a Tommy John guy. They're going to way under slot him. And then he signs for the slot value, and you're like, hmm, let's dig a little bit into it. And you're like, oh, this guy actually, had he not gotten hurt, was probably one of – um, it was probably Paul Skeens, Ty Floyd, and, and Grant Taylor it might have been their their three man uh, rotation there. And so Taylor, um, what we can see in the data is before he got hurt in the fall, he was showing some wicked, absolutely wicked stuff. And I'm sure that's what the the White Sox noticed too. Um, and they might have had a scout or two at, at some of his fall scrimmages. I don't know, but uh, he was uh, he showed some really good stuff. He's got a, a really good. Uh, He's got a riding fastball with a kind of the classic 12-6 curveball that, that play well off each other. And then he's got uh, also a, a cutter and then a changeup. So I mean it's it's a it's a four-pitch mix that you haven't really seen him put it all together in a in a full collegiate season, like he probably would have been, but he was on track to be um really he he could have been a top uh you know. Top half of the first round type of pick had he not gotten hurt, so it it was definitely you pick someone that that is coming off a college season that that didn't pitch at all, and you're kind of scratching your head. But I think the the really high upside, low floor type of pick, and and you know especially out of the first round, the type of picks you like him, you like to see happen.
0: Do we know what his, his status is? Is he, is he looking, he, would he line up as like an extended spring training uh, type of guy next year? Do you think he's ready to go in, in a regular spring training? Do, do we have any real update on what his, his actual recovery is at this point?
1: Yeah. So I believe he has surgery in either late February or early March. So if we go off the typical, like what we just heard from Liam Hendricks, the 12th to 14th month, it's probably an extended spring training um, type of deal. And so for him to be, high second round pick in for that uh, that timeline I mean it's got a somebody whatever scout or, or if it was Kenny or Rick or Mike Shirley whoever somebody fell in love with what he was showing uh, in the fall and in the preseason that they're like we you know we need to pick this guy and he wants slot value we're going to give it to him because there's the upside is, is real.
0: Yeah, and it and it speaks, of course, to how much the White Sox want him and found they you know sort of unearthed this gem who was, you know they were lucky to have Fall even though he, right. you know, he didn't pitch, yeah. uh, but it speaks I presume also to Grant's confidence that if he wasn't going to get you know you know what he deserved you know he you know he was he wasn't just automatically jumping to the White Sox necessarily. It speaks to. His own confidence, I, I presume, as well. That it's like, all right, you're going to give me, you know, w- what's fair, or you know, we're not going to do this. Right, not promising
1: sign. You know? And it could have been. There could have been other teams that were like, oh, we will get him in like the ninth or tenth round. We'll overslot him, and then we'll we'll sign him away from LSU. And then the Sox were like, "Nope, we're gonna we're gonna give him that. You know, what? Maybe you were going to overslot him later in the draft. We're just going to give it to him as a slot value in the second round. And um, you know, not let him either get back to LSU or or uh, get picked up later. It's worth
0: noting also that as there was a, a collective groan uh, in, in, internally um, on staff at Southside Sox, uh, Luke was quick to say, it, it didn't turn out to play out this way, but he was quick to say, okay, there's more to this story with this pick because – and it turned out that it did, would, would win a different direction than you even thought because you were thinking more the underslot to pile up money somewhere down the draft and the White Sox are really onto something, which also turned out to be true. But in the case of, of Taylor, he, he wasn't necessarily the underslot, but you were quick to say, hey, there, there does have to be a reason for this. And it might not have played out that way. You, your faith might not have been rewarded. But as it turns out, it was in a way you weren't expecting. But, you know, again, credit due. You were preaching a caution while I was
1: – I don't know. I was I was rending my garments. Well, then they pick they picked cow and you're like, OK, they're like now, now it all makes sense. Right. And they're going to way over slot him. It's going to be Grant Taylor's money. and Then he signs for slot and you're like, well, that money's got to get money? the money. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. We never necessarily want to do this or certainly put you on the spot. So you're welcome to hedge this and whatever way you want it. You know, it's fair. Obviously our goal with the farm podcasts and, you know, even when we're talking draft is never to, I mean, we're not going to bury anybody. We want everybody to do awesome. If they were still drafting people in the 50th, they're still drafting, you know, Larry Kings and like Godson. We'd be hoping that guy could be a star for the White Sox one day. So, uh, with that as a caveat, I am curious to know, Luke, Um, who, which, which of the picks you're just least excited about, or just sort of underwhelmed by maybe it's just opportunity that there were a lot of guys that you really would have had on your board that they went a different direction. It could even be that not even necessarily dis on the guy, but who's the guy is sort of most underwhelming to you?
1: Yeah. So I think this is always interesting. And, um, you look at at the the rounds and and the slot values of, of guys picked and you're like, you know, um, it seems like this guy that they got way later is a lot better than like, why would he go here? What did, what did they see? Um, did, um, was there an agreement before the draft? Like, how did this all work? Um, and so the guy that I was kind of uh, scratching my head on, uh, well, there's really two guys, Calvin Harris, I think the, the fourth rounder from, uh, from Ole Miss, the catcher, and then uh, uh, Riku Nishida, the second baseman from Oregon, uh, who I believe was in the 11th round. Um, Harris, I suppose, makes a little bit more sense now because they have acquired two catchers that look like they will stick behind the plate. Um, Harris's bat is another guy who, uh, it's another left-handed bat who played at Ole Miss, played in the College World Series. It performed really well. Uh, the bat looks really intriguing, aside from maybe some... Um, ground ball tendencies that that you don't love but when he's drafted and you don't have a lot of catching depth in the system you're kind of looking like well we picked a catcher but a lot of people don't think he's actually going to stick behind the plate it's like a a lesser version of when they drafted Zach Collins like we really need a catcher but there's a low probability that he sticks behind the plate um so maybe you get Harris now and you're like okay it's try him a little first. He played outfield too at Ole Miss. Um, you like the left-handed bat, DH. Um, if the bat plays, then it's probably worth a fourth-round pick. Um, with Nishida, and it, it, it's uh, I should first off say that whoever scouted the Pac-12 for the White Sox has a lot on the line uh, out of this draft because yeah. they picked a lot of guys from the Pac-12, and so they either really trust this guy or he had really good reports or. Um, but isn't it is Kenny Williams, isn't he a Stanford he guy? Uh, so maybe it's a little Pac-12 bias there. <laughs> yes. uh, but um <laughs> so they picked Nishida from Oregon, who was a community college or JUCO transfer, uh played a little second base, put a little right field, real uh, small guy, I think five six. Mm-hmm. Um but it just looks like it's the the upside's of maybe a utility player um and again we're talking the 11th round so we're really we're, we're nitpicking here yeah. if he turns out to be a utility player that's probably that's pretty good yeah probably great right um but it's a really high ground ball rate doesn't you know doesn't hit the ball very hard uh, based on the available data and um you know i think sometimes you just like to look at guys and be like i just want upside dark throw um worst case scenario he never makes out of a single a best case scenario he's a uh you know, he's an everyday major leaguer. But I think what we saw in the later rounds is they were more comfortable taking guys with really high contact rates, control the strike zone, that um, maybe didn't hit the ball very hard rather than vice versa, guys that match the ball in college, but have really extreme uh, swing and miss. Uh, issues that will probably perpetuate themselves even more as they get into pro ball so I think from team to team there's probably a little bit of a difference of opinion there on what they feel like they can develop more Um, can we get this guy to hit the ball a little bit harder uh, maybe change some things in a swing to get to more power hit the ball hard Uh, but it looks like the Sox went in the direction of you know Maybe it's more innate to be able to just, you know, hand-eye bat to ball. If we can get that already in-house and make some tweaks to to hit the ball a bit harder, then uh, that's the direction we want to go. Yes. And it's
0: a different direction, and we'll get to that in the second half for sure because there's some trends in this draft that do seem to be decidedly non-White Soxian. uh, Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Um, All right. uh, For the uh, variety pack uh, picks to uh, kick this whole thing off, Luke, uh, now what I would like to know from you is I, I guess we could adapt this into just most shocking pick, but but what you feel was the most out-of-the-box pick, I guess something that would not necessarily be expected by the White Sox in a typical, typical draft, uh, who do you consider like the out-of-the-box guy?
1: Um, I don't know if out-of-the-box, um, I think – Zach Franklin from Missouri. Uh, that looks like he, he did a little. He started a little bit. And looks like a, a more of a reliever, though. Um, he had a, a seven something ERA uh, at at uh, at Missouri. He he pitched six years of college baseball, which is uh, after COVID is 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 now possible. He he pitched five years at Western Carolina, went for a sixth year at Missouri, went to the SEC and and uh, had a pretty tough year. Um, just based on results. Um, his tip was about two runs lower than his like seven and a half ERA. You pulled video on this guy and it looks like he has one of the weirdest arm actions. It's like, he's throwing a shot put um, on the mound. Very. Um, I think the way I ended my blurb on him was that it's just a funky 10th round reliever is what it looks like. But um, he's got like really weird. Um, the, the arm action produces really weird uh Pitch movement, I think there's a lot of deception to play there, obviously from the arm action. But, um, you know, typically certain spin creates certain movement, and he's very uh, off of that. And and it's very interesting and weird movement profile. So um, I don't really know. We take a guy like that, how you scout him and say this is our plan for him. It's almost like they saw him and were like, there's just a lot of weird stuff about this guy, and we're going to draft him, and we're going to see, like, let's get – Let's get firsthand eyes on them and see what happens. So I think it was uh, not that this goes against what they typically do, but it's maybe it's maybe it's speaking more to their confidence of we can take guys like this that are a little bit more obscure and we can uh, maybe rely on our player development a little bit more than we thought and, and, and get something out of this, but. Um, again, it's, it's the, it's the 10th round. It's not the first or second round. So, um, if he winds up in the, in the bullpen in Chicago one day, it's a, it's a win.
0: Yeah. That's bold and brash to say the White Sox are going to try to lean more on their player development. Cause I'm not sure they've, they've necessarily put themselves too well, um, <sighs> over I don't know how many years but Over, it seems like several years yeah. uh, but hey listen if you're not confident then you shouldn't be in the game you shouldn't be drafted at all you should just punt right. every pick uh, okay Luke we're going to take a break uh, come on back talk about a few more picks and um, maybe then get into a, a couple little big uh, picture types of things as long as you're willing to stay patient with me we'll keep talking yep. Uh, Hey, everybody, uh, hang with us for a minute. Uh, Fans First Sports Network has something to sell you. Please listen. Please click. Please, I don't know. I don't know what they're selling. I hope it's not betting, but, you know, whatever. Slap Chop, some kind of spin mop, uh, consider it. It's probably a really, really good product. See you in a minute. Hey, White Sox fans. <laughs> Can you believe this? Two dugout metrics in a row. Back to back. Not like a year later. Not like months later. Not like, hey, wait, is this? Is there a new manager? Uh, is there a new editor at Southside Sox? No, this is like back to back dugout metrics. Of course, If you haven't listened, I don't, again, I don't know why you just pick up in the middle of a podcast. So go back and listen to the start. You'll get the whole etymology of how we got to where we are and how I'm just talking only to Luke Smith. This is a first time thing. I don't think we've ever done dugout metrics one-on-one this, 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 uh, this analyst has been, he's been exalted. We needed to get him back, uh, as he's now explained, uh, he did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> strike down the trade I tried to make just last podcast he did exercise I forgot I put that no trade clause in there he exercised it and he's back and here's the thing because I insulted him with that trade to get some pitching it was a reasonable it was reasonable thinking on my part but because I insulted him I had to bring him back for more money I just said uh, listen I'm sorry I blew the budget Southside Sox uh, faithful uh, but you know i is this what you got to do you got to bring a luke's mails back especially because he was so close to the draft this year his work has always been great for us uh, continues to be super sharp uh great articles we've had on site breaking down uh, the collegiate picks which again is the the bulk of the draft we've gone through I want to say five or six uh, guys already so we're going to pick up a few more that we don't want to miss before we maybe uh, uh, widen uh, the scope out a little bit more and, and talk more broadly about the socks uh, let's wind up the uh, upper 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 half or your first piece and uh, I guess we'll briefly touch on because it really does it seems like somewhat of a somewhat of a, a token uh, pick, but uh, that would be the sixth round uh, lefty out of Texas. Uh, tell me a little bit about this guy.
1: So, yeah, Lucas Gordon um, it, it looks like a guy that should move pretty pretty quick. He's he stuck with the, um, the kind of trend that, that they went for. It was Power 5 and big-time Power 5 players that had pitched, or, pitched or, or played in Omaha recently. So all these guys have big-game experience um, with – with Gordon, if I'm re- remembering correctly, it was uh, fastball. I think changeups his main uh, main secondary that gave uh, right-handed hitters a lot of fits uh, in the in the Big 12. And then he's got a kind of a, a, a gyro slider, which was one of the themes that the Sox uh, definitely bought into. And so essentially, the, the the theory there is that it doesn't have a lot of big break, but it has a lot of sharp late break, and and that's kind of been. Um, you know the the, the theory of seam shifted wake in in that um, kind of new analytical way to, to analyze uh, certain pitches. It looks like the Sox have definitely taken notice to that and have really um, have bought into to that because uh, three or four of the pitchers that they've drafted um, all exhibit those traits. So I think with Gordon, it's a guy that best case scenario, it's upper minors depth pretty quickly, um, and it's a uh, I think the way I describe him like pitchability lefty that. Um, isn't going to light up a radar gun or have a big break um, on on pitches, but uh, hopefully it's a guy that that moves pretty quickly with with some big time experience uh, under his belt already.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm slow and a little dopey. I think that's been demonstrated over the previous eight dugout metrics of which you've been part of. Seven, Luke. So you're familiar with what I'm about, um, but but tell me if I'm wrong. Correct. You can. You don't even have to gently correct me. But when I read about a guy, particularly who's had success uh, in a in a power conference as well, but who's had really success, maybe at any level, and one of the calling cards is, and again, these things usually work out. If you don't got the big fastball, you're going to have to develop changeup stuff like that. So I mean, part of it's born out necessity, but if you can pull it out, pull it off, and coming into the professional ranks, you've got a change-up that you can consider a pretty good money pitch for you that at least tells me in addition to being a confident pitcher that you sort of know for lack of, for the dumb way of saying it you know how to pitch I mean is that a, is it a fair to say that this is a guy and I guess you're speaking to him and saying he's a guy who can move quickly um this is a guy who's, who does know what he's doing
1: no okay. yeah yeah I think you're spot on there um it's um there's not a there's not a whole lot of of uh like grassroots development that you got to put towards a guy like this it should be um it should be a pitcher that uh you you're taking his current fastball you're taking his current change his current slider and you're not bringing him in saying we gotta we gotta make some changes here you got potential but we gotta really make some changes it's no we're gonna you know maybe we'll send you to winston-salem uh or you know or you'll do a couple starts in canapolis and we'll send you to winston-salem and then we're going to be aggressive with you to birmingham um because we think that you know, your, your current arsenal is one that plays in the upper minors. And then it's kind of like, well, let's just see, let's see how you do. And if we have to make changes, we'll make changes, but it's not a a high school pick. Like I keep, I'll go back again to like the Jared Kelly pick where he was a guy with a, a good view on his fastball elite changeup with no breaking ball that you have to really like, we need to teach you a slider, which, uh, the saying is, is you can't really teach. It's really hard to teach a guy how to spin a baseball. It's kind of like an innate skill. Um, and so if you can't really do that, then it, then it's tricky. So Gordon has some, some traits that like the change up the, the fastball command that you're like, okay, this is a, um, he reminds me of like a, the, the generic Cleveland Guardians pitcher that they just bring up and you're like, he's run like 92 lefty and he somehow is like seven innings, two runs. And you're like, what just happened?
0: <laughs> and they
1: do it over and over yeah. and
0: over again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we do got to get some of that. So yeah. I guess, you know, can't beat them. Start drafting guys like that. Yeah. Um, the guy I would have anticipated um, not, not being in your mind, Luke, but the guy that I might've anticipated you picking, uh, picking as least exciting pick or most underwhelming I, I want to ask you about next because it's just strange to me that you are using an 8th round pick on a guy who seemingly has demonstrated a pretty profound difficulty with uh, breaking pitches and so there's intrigue and you've given us reason why the, the White Sox feel that that can be offset it still seems it seems pretty bold so maybe talk to me a little bit about what they are seeing that is worth sort of a hook and some promise to you know in the 8th round that's not enough and pick
1: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's just Kenny Williams at Stanford. I, I, I get, that's what I got to bring it back to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of course. <laughs> He's like, Mike, you can do anything you want with the draft, but in the top 10 rounds, we need a Stanford <laughs> Cardinal and whatever you do, it's, it's fine. No, <laughs> um, yeah. no with, with Eddie Park, I, it's a guy who played, uh, played center field again, another Omaha guy who played, played in Omaha, um, uh, Stanford has uh, actually been to all the past two years. So he has a lot of, of big time experience. Um, I think with him, what's is different than Nishida. They have similar offensive profiles, but what Park does better is a, he plays a premium position. You should be able to play center field. B is he's a lot better. Um, I reference a lot in the, the pieces uh, sweet spot percentage. And essentially that's how often with your batted balls, do you hit it between that eight degree and 32 degree launch angle that's essentially the the optimal launch angle that you you, you know uh, you want to hit the ball at. So you look at a guy like uh, like Luis Ariz, who's like the king the king of of, of sweet spot percentage because he doesn't hit the ball that hard, but he's really good at the line drive right over the infield, right. And then Freddie Freeman is the other extreme where he's got more power, but he's also really efficient to do that. When the Sox drafted Nick Madrigal fourth overall, he had this innate ability to hit the. To hit his line drives at a at a um, an efficient sweet spot percentage. Um, obviously, other stuff transpired with him, and he wasn't able to stay healthy. And he wasn't the defender and base runner. And he's the the fourth overall pick for crying Out Loud. But um, Eddie Park in the, in the what the eighth round, um, it's a, you know best case scenario. Maybe he's a fourth outfielder that kind of is a spray line drive guy. Another left handed hitter. That gets on base a lot. And and it's back to that theme of they want, they wanted guys that made a lot of contact. And whether they're going to take Eddie Park and say, we think you're a high probability guy to just make it to the major leagues, or if they're going to take Eddie Park and say, we're going to be aggressive with some changes, we're going to really try to get you to hit the ball harder. Um, That's left to be seen. But um, there's, you always just look for a trade or two that you're like, okay that might be able to carry them. If everything clicks, yeah. Th- this is something that you like. What you don't want is there's nothing really there that intrigues you or you would you could guess that is what intrigued the White Sox. So there's there's some there's some stuff there with a Park.
0: Yeah. Providing there's a trait that's beyond just being a Stanford Cardinal. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you want a little bit more than just that. Even Ken Williams I think might. Right. <laughs> more than that. Um three picks Three pitch mix for a ninth rounder in Jake Peppers is something you brought out as being a reason to maybe have a, a little bit of, of intrigue and maybe even a little bit of hope. In that, uh, this is a guy I'm not going to just say it's exactly like, say, a, a Lucas Gordon or whatever, but a, a guy that, you know, there's something there, there's a foundation there. And it, whether it goes in the direction of, of starter or reliever, it does seem like there's a pitcher there uh, that can at least give you some good organizational starts. If not, you know, who knows? is a wild card. Uh, surprise.
1: Yeah. So it's another, another mid-major arm. Um, He kind of went back and forth between starting and relieving. So you wonder, uh, is this a a guy they're going to try to get the most of as a starter, or is it somebody they try to fast track as a reliever? Um, He's got a mid-90s fastball, uh, but the star, the star of the show is the slider. Um, it had the sixth best whiff rate of any slider in Division One baseball, and that's pretty good. Ahead. That's good, right? So it's the same. It's that that gyro slider. The the it's not you know it's it's not the sweeper that you know the new pitch type. It's the sharp, uh, almost looks like a cutter, but it's it's the, the idea there is, is late break, sharp late break. So um, all, as as always, anything you can get this late in the draft is good. But there's a, the upside that his slider maybe they, maybe they say, Hey, Jake, you're going to throw your slider 50, 60% of the time. And we're going to bring you on as a reliever. Uh, But it's, it's back to this. uh, You're buying into this seam shift awake philosophy that, uh, that they feel that they can develop and make the most out of. So peppers is intriguing and you you pull up a state and you're like, Whoa, that, that, uh, that slider is real. So then you ask, well, why did he fall this late? It's, it's, it's a lot of success at a mid major. There's yeah. some control questions, um, so nothing, nothing perfect this late, but it's there's there's something there that that's a very loud tool. Um, so it's kind of the the opposite of the, the Eddie Park deal there, right? Like this is the, the this is the loud, very low floor, very high upside uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, guys, you can up talk. You just want guys you can up talk, and, you know, uh, another team may see something very differently, and that's why they didn't pick them. So it makes sense. All right, listen, when I read your second piece, I mean, I, you know, it's the, even though we know what the odds are for the guys who are, I mean, Lord knows when there was a 40 round draft, but even now at this point, you know, you're getting into the double figure rounds. Uh, it's like, okay, come on, that's a long shot. And sure, we get the Danny Mendix and all that. And, and, and the White Sox, you know, I don't know that they've had more success than. Than most. I don't know if that speaks well to the White Sox or not, uh, but I mean, you know, there there are guys who do struggle their way upwards, swim against the current, and, you know, and make an impact, even if it just is at AAA, much less the major. So, it's not to throw all these guys away, and as an, as a result, again, a, a simple mind like myself, or a person who just wants a heroic story, always wants to sort of latch onto a guy in one of those over-rounds, say, oh my god, this is this is going to be the guy. This, this guy's really going to move, and I got to say that when I read the uh, right up, of thirteenth rounder, Ryan uh, Galani, uh, I you know, I gotta say, I'm I'm sort of excited. It really, seems like the White Sox, uh, not a guy from Stanford, tripped over a guy who uh, could yeah, could make some noise. He seems like he's coiled for um, to maybe surprise people. I mean, I could also just disappear, but could really surprise some people.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's they, they had a couple of these picks where it was really loud production at mid majors that have some, uh, peripheral red flags that, um, you know, whether it be like Delaney, he's, he put up huge numbers at Wofford. He was a third baseman originally, um, that had to move to first base. Um, I don't know if that was purely because he had a better third baseman or if, or if, uh, you know, he, he struggled over there quite a bit, but, um, it it is more than likely a first baseman who, who put up loud numbers, but there's some, uh, Ground ball tendencies there that, that you're not thrilled with. Um, you like to see guys that were able to pull the ball in the air well, and uh, God knows that's been a problem for uh, the current team. Uh, the best example of that is is someone like Aloy Jimenez, who has this prodigious raw power, but he tends to, when he pulls the ball, just beats the ball into the ground. So you get to a right-handed power hitter, ground ball's to shortstop, or the most agonizing thing to watch. So, um you know you you try to uh you try to steer him away but it's sometimes it's just kind of ingrained in the fabric of their swing and you you can't you can't tweak it but galaney i think it's just a uh you know draft it and see if how much of this is real and can continue so it looks like he's already started playing um in the arizona complex Mm -hmm. games along with some of these picks and so we'll just kind of see if How transferable some of this, you know, mid, really loud mid major production was, uh, and how how it can translate to uh, to pro ball. But I think it yeah was a top 50 WRC plus. Uh, So I mean that's not bad. Yeah, it's it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as much as you can say. Listen, uh, well, production at uh, complex league or low A, you know, you know none of them. Okay, big numbers that doesn't matter. Well the bottom line is you, you roll the ball out and you see what happens and it doesn't really matter what your, you know, your draft grades are. If you're not producing, then, you know, you're not a good player. You're not going to be in the pros for very long. And, you know, the reverse is if you're Ryan Galley and he's like, uh, um, you know, unheralded, but then he produces, psh, this is a guy that we're going to just, uh, we're going to latch on to. Uh, okay. Um, we're contractually obligated. Um, at this point, the the White Sox is playing in my hands. Every year, they're drafting at least one Horned Frog. And of course, therefore, we're going to have to talk about that guy. And the good news is, Luke, I'm not forcing you to talk about 20th, uh, our 20th rounder, potential um, late inning arm uh, closer for the Horned Frogs and a guy that you see as and I think maybe resembling a couple of the other horn Frog picks that White Sox have made in the past, uh, Godspeed, uh, Evan Scout. Of course, you're not one of those late Indian options. You're a catcher <laughs> who's not in the organization any longer. But uh, we're talking about um, a guy who could, you know, another one of those guys who could maybe move quickly. I don't know if he's quite equivalent to like a Tristan Stevers who was picked higher last year, but, I mean, a guy who had a lot of closing experience and, you know, I believe double A W-A-A now. So um, uh, tell me about my man Wright.
1: Yeah, so I think I think that's a, a pretty good comp, uh, Stevers, who, like you said, he, he's already up to double A, and, and I think that that might be uh, just a guess. That might be the plan for Wright. And, um, you know, being the, the 20th rounder is kind of the last guy I profiled, and you, know, you can kind of see the the guys kind of, you know, tailing off, and there's less and less that maybe you like, and then you're like, whoa, Garrett right. I mean, here's a closer on a team that – uh, a really good program TCU that was just in Omaha. And I mean, he's, he's pitching against Florida and striking, you know, uh, Florida Gators out and you know, first round picks. So um, he's really intriguing. He's got a really, really good slider. Um, and when he got to Omaha, he started throwing his slider uh, a lot more and it, and it performed really well. So I was on I was surprised that, um, and this is kind of getting back to what I was talking about is like, how is this guy still available, yeah. available in the 20th round? Um, is Was there thought that he was going to go back to TCU? Was, uh, you know, what was the deal there? It, are people looking more for just guys that can start if it's it's surefire reliever? Is that not what, what teams are looking for? What was the, and I'm like, is he hurt? Did he, did he hurt himself at the end of the year? No. I'm like, okay, well, um, and then I, and I was reading a little more about him and that he was a little ticked off by like the 15th round that he wasn't drafted. So he like turned his TV off and went to go work out. And then somebody texted him, like, Hey, dude, the Sox just picked you in the 20th round. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, still angry though, still angry. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think like, you know, comparing him to, to, uh, Stivers, I think you draft him. Um, I don't know if he, you know, he had a decent workload pitching all the way through through June this year in college. So maybe you're a little careful within this year, but next year you're like, Hey, we're going to send you to, uh, we're going to send you to Winston-Salem and then you're going to be hopefully quick to to Birmingham and let's see if we can get you in the, in the major league pen by 25. If, if everything works out perfectly. Right. So um, it looks like a a fastball slider combination that you kind of just, you let it play. Um, It's got good mid nineties. That's peaked in the upper nineties velo. It's a slider that, had a, had whiff rates that at times were over 50%. Um, it's, and it's, it's a two pitch a two pitch mix. So there's not, you know, you're not going to try to transition them to a starter, but it's just, let's see if the fastball slider combo, just kind of let it eat and see, you know, see if it can take you all the way to the big leagues.
0: And Garrett, good news. Southside Sox, the prominent voice of White Sox coverage. Let's face it. We don't really even pay attention to any of the others. I mean, let's just, let's just be straight is extremely hornfrog frog friendly. So, I mean, come on, this is a pl- things are looking up. You got drafted, you signed, you know, you'll, you'll be in the system and, you know, come on, Sounds outside that got your back. Uh, okay. I can, we can't, I, you didn't profile him. He's obviously probably the name of the whole draft. I just want to get some, some thoughts on the excitement you felt, uh, as, um, as unofficially or officially a White Sox fan, not sure how we should brand you at this point, but um, uh, of the White Sox sort of like, I mean, they did this a little bit with Jared Kelly when as the guy that we, you know, rumored to be basically a Garrett crochet level talent. When's up falling the second round? And somehow the White Sox are the team that ends up being the one who like works the deal says, yeah, we're going to take you a first round talent in the second mm-hmm. round. Uh, George Walkall falling to the seventh round because it's presumed, you know, he's going to honor his commitment to, I think, South Carolina. He's going to honor mm-hmm. his college commitment. Uh, huge thumper. Unlike even Jerry Kelly, a guy who I apparently dreamed of playing for the White Sox. Somehow that message got out there. White Sox were aware. It was out there in the air. And they said, OK, we're going to make this happen. I mean, that was something. None of us, I don't think any of us were expecting And And what a pleasant surprise to see those kind of coups, you know, that the Jerry Kelly was sort of cool enough. Cause you just don't ever feel you see the white Sox pulling that kind of stuff. Certainly not in the free market, a free agency. It yes. certainly doesn't seem to ever happen. but in the draft, you know, super cool. And it's just gotta be exciting to see that kind of like maneuvering to bring in a guy who, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, potential real marquee talent.
1: Yeah. And you hope that, um, you know, it's a, it's a six, seven or whatever, a huge left-handed bat. And it's, I mean, you can dream on that um, quite a bit. So you hope that, I mean, they've taken a couple swings at some high school guys later and none of them have really uh, panned out. So you hope that that this time can be, can be different, but I mean, it's um, I mean, so having a commitment to South Carolina and they've produced some, I mean, just this past year, they had a a really good offense. They produce some really good hitters, um, and, and the SEC—the level of play in the SEC right now—is is absolutely incredible. So, um, to to turn that down um, and and having experience to go play down there, and obviously get a lot better, and potentially for a guy like that, I mean, that's could be an easy first round first round pick to. So, it, it kind of speaks to what you said. He wants to be a. a he wanted to play for the White Sox and, you know, kind of a local guy and he's putting his faith in their player development system to get him where he wants to go versus going to, you know, a have the college experience down in the sec and also play, you know, incredibly high level baseball down there. So it was a, it was a good, it's what, I mean, it's what the good organizations do. They work out deals like this and they, they snag guys with good commitments and overslot values. So uh, hopefully, hopefully everything comes to fruition and he's a, you know a year or two from now we're like man that was that was a steal yeah,
0: <laughs> but yeah like that could very well could look at it like that changed everything at a low ebb for the organization itself this is where it started to turn around we don't know it now but boy we can dream that even a year from now we're starting to feel that way and, ha- and as he may raise the entire organization because
1: the, and the even money- if he's not a superstar that you know he's you know Six seven outfielder, always oh, the next Aaron Judge, right? Like even if he's not that, if he gets into Pro Ball and he's doing well and he gets to maybe double A in two, three years from now, that you know, uh the Sox have a, a decent major league team. Well, that's a guy you could maybe move in a trade. Like that's talk about like things that have held back this organization when they were trying to compete in twenty twenty and twenty-one, where they didn't have a lot of guys to trade to make the big over the top move. And and when you don't have that kind of depth either, that's when you're, that's when you're spending on the, uh, you know, you, you don't have major league quality relievers to bring up. You're signing Joe Kelly. You're signing Kendall Graveman. You're signing, uh, you're giving a three year deal to Larry Garcia because you can't produce an internal utility player, right? So, um, you know, not only do we hope these guys, uh, you know, make it big and and uh, do some really good things for the White Sox on their own, but maybe it's just give off the illusion that you have a little bit of organizational prospect depth and be able to make some moves and, and maneuver guys around. And then, um, I mean, that's, that's ultimately, you know, building from the ground up how you build a good organization. I think it's been a very underrated issue with the things that have transpired here in the past year and a half is not having a a strong foundational farm system to to pull from.
0: Yeah. And maybe even a more minor aspect of that, but it does loom, pretty big is White Sox don't seem to have a problem getting guys. Well, that might be an overstatement, but getting guys to the majors, the problem is they all are sort of there. Um, I mean, Jake Berger certainly breaking out, but I mean, even he's not just like an understood, you know, superstar. And of course they they traded him, Uh, but you don't have that guy who, you know, you don't have Andrew Vaughn becoming like superstar level. You didn't have Nick Madrigal, you know, getting to that. You do need it's great to have eight guys from your draft classes on your major league roster, uh, homegrown. You need one of them to be like, wow. You know, I mean, I guess Luis Roberts sort of counts as that guy, but you, know, you need that sort of breakout ability too. So, you know, no pressure, George, but you know, good, good to have you with us. Glad you're, you're, I mean, you're going gangbusters already. You're in the ACL. Yeah. So, you know, let's rock it.
1: Um, but even think about like guys that just got in trades, like Jake year, what was he a fourth round pick of the Marlins? Mm-hmm. Nastrini from the Dodgers. I think he was what third or fourth round. Mm-hmm. So I mean, once forget like past the fifth round, like, can we get some guys that turn into at least something interesting in rounds two through five that maybe we can move? You know, I mean, like, you think of the good orgs like Tampa, Cleveland, the Dodgers, they always have a like third round pick who's like, how, how did they, like, how did, where, A, where they find this guy and B, how is he available for them at like the end of the third round? So. Um, the quicker they can start doing that, it just, it changes so many things. It has such a domino effect.
0: Yeah. So, so nobody breaks their arms, pat themselves on the back. I mean, we just did the day in uh, white Sox history. I think it was yes, August 2nd. I want to say not just Frank Thomas's debut, but the guy they drafted in the first round the year later, Alex Fernandez debut on the same day. And these are guys who contributed like 90 war to the white Sox. I mean, okay, that's a fluke, but you know, it's also not like, Impossible. So you know, how about a little bit more of that, White Sox? So let's turn the fourth round guy they traded for into a guy who gives you twenty WAR in your organization. Okay, come on, White Sox. We're feeling good about you. All right, trends. We're going to talk a little bit about trends, and I'm so smart that I've decided to identify a couple. So you can tell me that they're wrong and they're dumb, and then I will erase this little uh, uh, slide I came up with. But it does seem to me like very obviously something that is pretty gravely lacking, and I don't even know how important it is. So you can correct me because. When I do the minor league updates, I'm always looking at what I'm trying to pick, like, the cold cats of the, of the game. I'm looking at the guys who are striking out, you know, three times. I understand, and outs and out. and if a guy gets a homer with three strikeouts, we're supposed to be happy with that. So I'm not going to be too garrulous and old school about it. But the White Sox clearly, I mean, at the major league level. It seems like at every level sort of have a contact issue. And I know contact is, I don't know if it's overrated or not. It, I guess it seems like it's gone by the wayside because people are taking big swings uh, with launch angle to get the ball over the fence. It really doesn't no matter how you make outs, but it does seem like the white Sox very distinctively took a turn toward trying to get guys who had a, uh, a strikeout and walk ratio that was getting pretty close to, to, to one. It seemed to be pretty obvious. So it wasn't just like they backed into those guys. And I think as you've alluded uh, college world series experience, a championship experience, really. I think at least three of the guys were actually have won, uh, have won college rings. Um, yeah.
1: Those seem to be two. Uh,
0: do those make sense? And is there something else I'm missing in terms of draft uh, draft transfer 2023?
1: No, those definitely makes sense. And to add a list, it might just be left-handed hitters too. Like they sure. put a premium on left-handed hitters. Um, but yeah, the, the strikeout to walk ratio, and I think more just like drawing walks, I think is, is, I mean, we, you talk a little bit about Andrew Vaughn, like that's been one of the biggest disappointments is this guy was supposed to be, you know, close to 400 on base percentage at his peak. And he's really struggled. I think in his last, you know, maybe in July, he had like a 2% walk rate or some crazy uh, low number. Um, But yeah, I think that they feel that they can develop the guy a little bit better that comes in with the good contact skills and kind of like what I said before it's, do you try to make a big swing change to get him to more power? Or do you just say, you know, maybe just the, the contact rate can get you there. So um, I think it, it's definitely at the major league level, it's been a huge problem, just not drawing walks, not getting on base, but um, the contact rate's great. But if it's bad contact, then it's not going to do a whole lot for you. If it's a lot of, it's, it's been another thing too. It's especially last year, it was like, oh, they're not, this team's not striking out what's going on. So all they lead the league in ground ball rate and they don't walk. Um, so that's when you have like 12 hits and 10 singles and two runs uh, because you can't, you just need that one. Um, you need that one ball in the gap, that one home run, or in some cases, they, we just need a sack fly, but you hit a, a, a double play ball in the infield. So uh, I, I think it, th- there's a premium on that, but I think, m- maybe less on the strikeout side of that ratio and more. We need guys that are going to draw walks. Yeah. It's, it's
0: yeah. Uh, White Sox in uh, Thursday's game. So I, I, I tuned into the game seven hits. Wow, man, this is great. They got a few runs. What's going on? Oh, no, seven singles. Okay. Well, I mean, better to have that than seven outs. Of course, we don't want to be no right. hit, but uh, yeah. Come on, White Sox. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, Let's, um, even talking well before the draft on one of the uh, farm podcasts with Darren Black, he seemed pretty, we were were sort of doing a whole organization assessment. I think my question kept being to Darren, why can't we be the Tampa Rays? Uh, And and he was trying to actually answer my question politely because it's just a rude and and belligerent question. Uh, But I mean, he, he was even quick to identify uh, as the season was just getting started, that there was some promise in this first Mike Shirley draft. Uh, it seems certainly like we're coming away, you know, way, way early, uh, that there's some good feelings about this one. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, there's there has been a little change of direction. Um, I think mostly trending uh, good, but uh, what's your assessment about how they've done a couple drafts under his belt, I guess?
1: Yeah. So just doing, a quick review on how the guys are doing that they picked last year. I mean, some of these got, they're tearing up a ball uh, between Kannapolis and Winston Salem. There's some pretty loud numbers. I mean, you look at like Jacob Burke in the 11th round. He's done fantastic. A um, couple of relievers. We mentioned Stiver's already being in Birmingham. Um, uh, Eric Adler looks pretty nasty as well. Another Wake Forest guy. They got in the sixth round, uh, Paulette, I think, was a really interesting guy. They drafted the second rounder from Arkansas. I think the intriguing thing from him is he's just getting some innings under his belt after he got hurt. And he looks like he's healthy, yeah. um, so hopefully he continues to to grow. But you just go guy by guy, and you know, I think Elko's been pretty popular uh, based on <laughs> yeah. what he what he did. It the kind of player he was an Ole Miss and how crucial he was to them winning a championship. But then he's uh, he's put up some pretty loud numbers, and that's a guy who's. you you kind of question like, does the swing and miss um, nearing 30% in the, the lower levels, does that kind of, will that end up disqualifying him from ever making a true impact in the upper minors and ultimately major league level? But I mean, he's got, he's, he's putting up like 150 WRC plus um, as he's moved up uh, a level now. So a guy you you probably will see in Birmingham and, and, and Charlotte in the not too distant future, but just, you know, they got they had some community college guys, they had some mid-major guys, and you go guy by guy and you're like, Well, he's got a FIP in the threes. He's oh, you know, he's 120 WRC plus. So it looks like they've I mean, and again, early returns you can do as well as you want in in high A. But um you start doing it in double A and you're like, Okay, this is this is really interesting. So I think the last couple months of this year, and then we go into uh into next year, if these guys continue this uh this trend up, I think Mike surely deserves a lot of credit. So the early returns, like you said, are are very positive. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it's tempting to still look at organizations. Let's face it, the organization, and I know it's not about win loss records, but it's not, not about win-loss records either. When you look at that, you say, wow, this is still just a terrible organization. I know it doesn't still isn't grayed out terribly well by by you know all the all the experts out there. But, I mean, we're talking about a, a class who's only had now a small impact on that uh, relatively small impact. We're just you know, talking about one class of guys. You have even to count the undrafteds. You know, that's that's maybe one team's worth of guys when we're talking about, uh, you know, five-team organization. And, and that's probably overstating it. So the effect is going to take some time to say, see how the rest of the season plays, see how they start out uh, next season. And, yeah, these guys continue to – to push it. I mean, Burke, I remember last year was a guy who just seemed to jump out. It was like, wow, this is not a, this is really not a for a double figure pick round pick. This is interesting. I'm, I'm glad that for once when I have a, you know, a smart, thought about a player that they actually you know come through a little bit but yeah he's he's really been pretty dynamic and and elko seems like he was being held down for so long but it was just clamoring for him to move up and it seems like almost the white Sox were aware of all right let's not push him too hard because then suddenly it is the strikeout hours are going to blow up to 50 percent or something but right you know so far so good it 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 hasn't happened so i mean geez you know maybe he's got an extra gear that right. maybe he would even show in college and know. he's an older
1: guy too and it's not like you're waiting for a ton of defensive development either with tim elko so it's kind of like let's let's see what we got here let's see if you know because if he can stay you know upper upper 20s nearing 30 and he's hitting for power maybe there's something there um i mean that's where you're you're in kind of the the jake Berger mold there right but Mm -hmm. um if you get up up 30 and you're 35 high, high 30s then it's like it's your your power production has to be so large then that to outweigh the the lack of contact so um where he was drafted and, and, and how old he is, I think, yeah, why not be a little bit more aggressive? It's a coin flip, but I'm going to put you
0: on the spot for the 2024 draft. I know. Why are we talking about 2024? Well, because I'm asking about, it. okay, will the White Sox pick among their 20 picks, will they pick an Ole Miss player next year or not?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they'll pick an Ole Miss player. Um, I think the, the the player that i just from watching a lot of college baseball and college world series this past year uh jack Caglione from florida should likely be a top 5 round or 5 pick uh player um and i'm sure the Sox will will fit squarely right in those top 5 uh, <laughs> so he uh, he has a he has Gosh. a shot to be at least at florida he's a, he's a two way player um he, he is a first baseman um but I just, it's, it's a very interesting profile to me. It's a lefty that's been up in the upper nineties. And to me, I, I look at him and, and um, people are going to, you know, he's, he's the college Otani, but I think he could be like a closer type. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think this is an interesting, like uh mm-hmm. adaption from an Otani, like a guy that can play first base every day, but then comes in the end of the game and, cl- and is a relief pitcher. Like, I that think that good. would be, that would be interesting as a kind of a less extreme, mm-hmm. Uh, version of Otani so I wonder um, and now he might he might come back for, at, at Florida this year and have great greatly improved command and he'll he'll you know, be the number one there at, at Florida and maybe he's the surefire number one overall pick to to Oakland or whoever and he's going to try to do start and and be the DH but um, I think for the 24 drafts it will be interesting to kind of how they do they pivot back to a to a Colson Montgomery high school type, are they going to stick with the college hitter? Uh, Do they, uh, I'm sure a lot has to do with, you know, if, if if they're kind of tanking it through the first half of the season by next year's draft, maybe they're uh, maybe they're they're, as, as they get ready for a a tear down, maybe they're like, well, we'll pick a high school player with higher upside, but you know, if they're, if they're good and they see a hole, maybe they want to take a college arm to to supplement Mm -hmm. their rotation a little bit quicker. So um, I think a lot, the next calendar year of baseball probably have a lot to do with their yeah. strategy there. If
0: Ken Williams, whether he's even with the organization any longer, if he still has Jerry Rancor's phone number, and they are competing at the first half of next year, you know that they are going to pick a guy they can get into the majors as soon as possible. <laughs> that's always, you know, that's always what they've done. But. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, for for those uh, nicks out there, are always like, geez, the White Sox. I mean, it hasn't really been the case. They had a third and a fourth pick, they have had an eighth pick in in, in recent recent years. But uh, oh man, we never get to talk about any of those big names. Well, careful what you ask for, because we're gonna be in that discussion next year because this is this is a lousy team and it's not gonna get any better for the last two months. Hey, Luke, we talked for now. We've it's just hit an hour and we you did mention him, but we haven't talked about Joe Kelly yet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we're just going to have to table it for the next five. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I noticed you went to LA and he just basically became the pitcher you've been telling me for two years. He is. And I understand, you know, we, we have our disagreements about him, but uh yeah, he's, he's, his arm's back. He's, and he's got a defense behind him. I imagine that's good.
1: Well, well, I, I think we, too. I think right at the end before it was traded, I think we, I think we landed on a, at least for me, I thought we landed on a good common ground and, you you said he's been disappointing, and then I thought about it, I'm like that's actually I think a good like he has been disappointing, but I still think he was a good. He I think he performed well given the stuff that that he Joe Kelly can control. Um, ultimately, it's it's a flawed strategy ha- having to bring in a guy like Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman, yeah. and you know spend the money they did in the bullpen. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. it's uh, it's not a position you want to be in. And it's, it's a, it's a flawed concept um, to, to begin with. And I think it's surprising, like, because it happened to the Astros with Rafael Montero and then they kind of doubled down and just traded for Kelly. And I think, I'm not Kelly, they traded for Graveman. Um, I I think Rick Allen was probably like, okay, you sure? Yeah. We'll, we'll take this catching prospect back. You, you do realize that Kendall Graveman's do, uh, <laughs> right, million, million it doesn't end this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not a pending free agent. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No trade back. See you later. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. I got him again. Yeah. Well, Rick. Uh, yeah, he's uh, well. That's those are a whole other series of podcasts, and we've had those podcasts before, and we probably will again. Uh, welcome back, Luke. It is good to be doing dugout metrics again with you, with the other guys. Let's maybe have all four of us get get together. I don't know. It's simple. I'm not really sure what the point is going to be. It's going to be a really rough end of season, but maybe it's to talk about some of the White Sox players who. Who are brought maybe Lenin Sosa will actually get to play for the White Sox this year, for example. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see how this season plays out. And hopefully we won't we won't be doing, unfortunately, our le- our our second to last podcast, not the one that just ran yesterday, was a playoff preview. Unfortunately, we won't be doing Dugout Metrics playoff previews probably anytime soon. I guess maybe as soon as next year, but definitely not this year. So we won't have that excuse, but hopefully we will find an excuse to get together there and talk about uh yeah some of the stuff we've done for the first uh eight of these thank you for all the insight on the draft uh, really cool really cool having you on the ground there of course not on our half, but it's nice to have you there and to and sort of vicariously live through you like oh my gosh he's he's right there at the draft that's so <laughs> cool uh but uh, great work there and thank you for the uh, articles written some real insight and hopefully this podcast has helped uh, sort of um activate and illuminate uh, some of the thoughts that you just uh, typed down in a paragraph or two. And uh, people have even a greater understanding of what looks like a sort of solid, diverse, uh, promising class. Let's hope in a year when we talk again, Luke will be able to say, man, look how right I was in these guys. I was feeling good and now I'm feeling even better. And I'll say, oh yeah, I was too. Yeah, I was too. And you know, you can call me out for lying. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, let's do it again soon, whatever soon means. But how about let's have soon be sooner than a year and a half
1: yeah. And hopefully, yeah, like you said, hopefully we can talk about maybe Sosa, someone like Rodriguez, maybe Colas shows some potential that gives you some excitement for next year. But um, ultimately I think as we get into our, you know, our off season plans that I always enjoy doing every year, I think this year could be particularly interesting because I think we'll have uh, one extreme to the other in terms of directions that people want to take this team. So they might be, uh, an interesting, interesting project for, for some people. And I think a lot of interesting reads on where people think the organization should go, um, after this year. So we'll see how much the rest of the season kind of signals, yeah. um, if there's anything else to take away from this season, but, uh, but yeah, it's great, great to be back. And, uh, hopefully we can do a couple more with, uh, with Maliki and Trevor.
0: Yeah, at the very least, yes, we'll get everybody to talk about what their direction and what their plans be. I can speak for Maliki. I think he's like, hey, you know, this is a 500 division winning, uh, uh, 500 record to be a division winner this year. Projecting it next year, why are, why are you going to shuffle it up too much? I, I think that would be his stance of sort of going forward a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure what Trevor will have to say. But, yeah, maybe at the very least we'll all get together for uh, offseason plans. We're looking forward to yeah. season plans. So uh, we will do it soon. Dugout Metrics is back again. Cost us an extra coin, but he's back with mm-hmm. us. Luke's mails, and it's worth it. So, uh, thanks for this uh, hour with us. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening and paying attention. We got to get excited about some. So, let's excited, get excited about the draft. Some of these guys are in the system already. George, uh, we'll call it to, uh, tonight as we're speaking, got his first professional hit. So, uh, hey, things are looking up. Uh, let's go, Million Dollar Man. Make your way up, and uh, you know we'll see you soon. Uh, thanks, Luke. Thanks uh, everybody for uh, listening and watching all that stuff and uh, I don't know when dugout metrics is coming back but I can promise it'll be more than a year and a half from now. So stay tuned, hang on the edge of your seat for the next dugout metrics coming sooner, well, maybe not sooner than you expect but I got
1: my I got my long-term contract signed so we're Exactly.
0: Getting- we got to has to show up. All right. Just as we're sending Trevor off on a bit of a vacation, uh Luke is back for like I don't know, every other day. Okay, so see you in a couple of days on the next dugout metrics.